This is Blue Collar Culture, where you don't need ping pong tables, a cereal bar, or nap pots to attract and retain real A players. Join us where we speak with down-to-earth leaders that understand what it takes to win with a blue collar culture. Now here are your hosts, Jeremy McLiver and Ryan England. In today's show, we are going to talk about something that I feel might drive some fear in the heart of our listeners, especially if you own a business and you've got thin margins, which it's not always a bad thing. Sometimes that's just the way the industry is. But with hiring being so difficult right now and understanding what job seekers are looking for, we're all looking for ways to differentiate, to find new ways to attract and retain great people. In today's show, we are going to talk about ways you can simplify incentive plans, where you create transparency with your team so they know exactly what they need to do to perform and to generate results for your bottom line. Today's guest is Alex Freitag. He wrote Profit Works. He is an EOS implementer. He's a wealth of knowledge, been doing this for decades and has worked with business owners all over the place, different industries. He knows what works, he knows what doesn't. So get ready to take some notes, buckle up, because we are going to talk about how you can create amazing incentive plans to motivate your workforce. Hey, Alex, I'm really excited about today's show. I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for inviting me. Good to have you. So we're going to talk a lot about how to get your employees to get excited about helping you drive your organization into positive territory. But before we get into that, what's the biggest myth that owners tell themselves about what you do? Oh, that's a good question. Probably the biggest myth that I've been exposed to, and this is like 26 years overnight success. So I've seen a lot of perhaps you call it head trash or stories we tell ourselves, but it's specifically in like frontline workforces, probably the biggest myth is that my people will never understand this stuff. It's just not my experience. And so part of when I do a presentation for groups of business owners at the very end, I say, whether you believe your employees will understand this stuff or whether you believe they won't, you're right. So it becomes mindset. When we're talking about incentive plans and really understanding how to drive profitability and that kind of stuff, it sounds like it could get complex pretty quick, which is true, but we're not going all the way down that path. We're just going to try to keep it at a pretty high level, enough information for employees to be dangerous with driving improved profitability. So they can, they are smart people, they're good people, and they actually respect receiving the information. So if I'm understanding this right, you're saying you can translate profit, what causes us to make profit, not make profit. You can translate that to the entire organization, get them to understand it. Now, I have to ask, that sounds scary as all get out. Why would I want to share that with my team? There's a couple of reasons. And the first one, Jeremy, comes to mind is that in the absence of information, people make stuff up. And so you have a choice as a business owner to not share anything. You can absolutely not share anything, but then whatever story they're telling themselves is going to become your reality. In my experience, I started surveying employees in 96. My brother and I started ProfitWorks and we would say, what percent of sales would you guess are profits? And these are frontline, undereducated, good people, but they've never been exposed to this stuff. Their average guess, about 50% is what they think profit is of sales. If they even know what profit, you know, some think profit and sales, same thing. And it's not because they're dumb. It's because we haven't told them. And so if you have employees walking around thinking the company's making 50% profit or this us versus them thing creeps in, 
And so there are consequences to a lack of transparency. Now, I'm not saying you open all the books, but you got to find your comfort point. And when employees have the right information, they make better decisions in the moment. That's just been my experience. So I think there's a bit of dignity there and an, an honorable thing to do to share the information that can help them do their jobs better and help them contribute and be more actively participating in sort of the financial side of the business. Yeah, I love that. We had a steel company and we had asked that question because we were struggling to make profit, really growing, but we're getting a lot of kickback. And we just open and honest team. We had a big old group huddle on the shop floor. We make $100 in revenue. We sell that. How much do we get to keep? We had everybody write it down. We didn't end up at the 50%. I think it was like $37 out of every 100. I'm like, 37. Well, yeah, so we had some 50s, right? We had a 37. When we told them, hey, we'd be happy if it was eight, they about fell over. (laughs) We could just hit eight. And the transformation there, you know, I think of also a plumbing company, right? They're out there trying to get their guys to sell. And they're like, well, you can buy this part for $10 at Home Depot. Go there. Yeah, but it doesn't quite translate. So I love that you're educating them. What is the number one thing that's holding the business owner back from scarcity, not sharing, to abundance, and everybody's engaged and driving towards it? Oh, the number one reason, a couple of things come to mind. One is finances can be a mess, right? You could be running a lot of personal stuff through there, and it's just like a big mess. You don't want to go there, which totally get. Number two is probably the concern, the business owner thinks, if I share this information, my employees are going to want more money. And my experience is they are so surprised at how small actual profits are. If it's five cents on the dollar or 10 or eight, and that's before taxes usually. So there's a conversation in there as well. They're not thinking, I want more money. They're thinking, how do we drive it higher? And I think there's an element, and Ryan, you probably see this too in your experiences, that business owner, it's lonely running the business. And so if we can enroll more of the folks to sort of share the insomnia of what keeps you awake at night and have them thinking about the business kind of like you do, thinking about opportunities for process improvement or moving something to technology that's manual or whatever it might be, right? They see things, right? The ideas are sitting out there in your workforce and our ability to tap into that sort of untapped potential is huge. It's just a really cool opportunity. And I think it's unique for business owners to do it. I would argue that it's a bit leading edge, leading edge to engage your folks in really trying to understand it and feel a part of it. And they can find money that's just falling through the cracks in the business, which is such a relief for the business owners to feel like they're on a team. It reminds me of a client I worked with a few years back in construction, and they were talking about selling the business to the kids. And I remember, yeah, I was like, do your kids even want it? And they're like, I don't know. So we went and we talked to the kids and the kids were like, heck yeah, because I know mom and dad have a private yacht somewhere. I know there's an airplane somewhere. Like they are rolling in the dough. And this is a company that if they hit double digit profits, they were stoked. But it's a $12, $15 million a year company. So of course, there's millions of dollars in the bank that they're hiding from the kids. And the kids were so excited to be able to get their hands on it. And then after the kids found out it wasn't that profitable, they're like, Maybe I'd just be okay working here for a little bit until I figure out what's next. Well, you're right. And actually, you draw a good point toward the risk. The whole risk return equation is not broadcast, not taught in schools. 
And so people get in there, they don't think about all the risk and the sleepless nights that you've had as an entrepreneur and the bank and the mortgage and all these kinds of things. And in reality, that we expect a return on our investment, but it's not without all that risk that's taken. I think that's a great place to start with folks because employees are investors too, in certain ways, like they might own a house, they might just even have a car or they have things that they've invested in and they, they expect a return on that investment. So that whole risk return sort of basic element of our capitalist system is true and all returns come from profit. So there's an element of teaching folks around profit as a driver for that return on investment as one element of what we do with profit. So even if it's 20% at the bottom line, we got to pay taxes, we got to provide a return on investment for people taking all the risk, we got to reinvest in the business, and we got to pay down debt and take care. So when those kids in the construction company think about all that stuff, that's like a real eye opener. It's like, there's a lot of stuff going on in this game here that we didn't know about. And the irony of that is the kids, they're close to mom and dad. They're connected. You would think that they would be getting it. Maybe if we could just share a story of an owner that went from one to the other, just so, so we can visualize that. Because I mean, these kids are struggling and they're right there. You can only expect how much less the employee is seeing. Oh my gosh, you're right, Jeremy. The way I kind of picture it is that if you picture a line, like a spectrum, a continuum, and on one end of the continuum is completely closed book, not sharing anything with anybody, kids, employees, nobody. And on the other end is just radical transparency. What those parents in that construction company were doing was they were shielding their kids probably for, from some of the harsh realities of risk and the things that make them sweat. And so they're somewhere in the middle there and just with the kids. And so my, I sort of had a big aha in recent months that there's a bell curve sort of sitting on top of that transparency where performance is the sort of the up and down the access. And so that if you don't share any information, people kind of danger in the comfort zone. If you share too much information, people are freaking out and like running around scared because they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know all this was true. So somewhere in the middle, there's higher levels of performance when people have the right information. So there's a bit of an art form to what you share, with whom, how often, you know, how much detail. And, and there's we try to sort of coach clients through what to share and without getting them too uncomfortable. But it's really interesting, the whole transparency piece. One client I had in Florida, she has a company that does pump systems for pools. Group of employees who are out in the field and trucks, you know, lots of equipment and doing jobs and all these in forms and just going through. She made me 30 employees and had never shared any information. And we met during a Vistage talk I was doing several years ago. And we started working together and went through the whole education process, designed an incentive plan for her her organization, she decided to pay the incentive plan out equally to all employees. So it was like if there's call it thirty thousand dollars and there's thirty people, everybody gets a thousand bucks. Easy to administer. And she eventually changed it to percentage of wages. But it was very interesting to watch over a period of years her culture transform. And she eventually sold to the employees. She sold to an ESOP. And it was really cool. The, the culture she'd done right. And so the profits were there and the employees understood what it means to be an owner. So it's a fun case study for us. That's cool. What are two actions uh, listeners right now could take to just enter into this and begin the journey? If they're running on EOS, which is a more frequent occurrence these days, they're probably in some sort of meeting discipline where they're meeting with the employees, hopefully every quarter doing a state of the company meeting or something like that. And in those meetings where you're, it's all hands, you're just doing where we've been, where we are, where we're going kind of stuff, they could share, they could begin to share kind of the scoreboard. 
Like if you think of business as a game, if you're playing a game, if you're playing football and you can't see the scoreboard, it's not nearly as fun. Like you don't know if you're winning. You're just like a pawn in there. And when you start to help everybody become aware of what winning looks like at the company and you're sharing that, you start to enroll them in the game a bit more and it, it becomes more fun for everybody. And then you're providing them with tools and resources and training and things to help them become more actively engaged in the game. So scorecards, measurables, did, you know, departmental meetings, rocks, those kinds of disciplines are great tools that the employees can use to affect the score. And so there's a weak link often between the choices, the activities that employee does every day, especially in frontline folks. They come to the job, they do the job, they go home. And to the degree they start to create a stronger link between their activities and the score at the end of the game, it's a lot more interesting. And there's a lot higher levels of employee retention. The employees are curious. Employees appreciate being asked their opinion on things. So you could start to evolve that culture slowly. So in that state of the company, to answer your question more directly, you, know, you could start to share a very simplified version. And I usually just say sales minus expenses equals profit, three lines. And you could break it down into maybe five where it's sales minus direct costs equals gross profit, and then maybe stay there. You don't have to go all the way to the bottom line, but helping the employees kind of understand how do we affect cost of sales, labor and materials typically. And if they see, wow, it's 30% or it's 40% or whatever, they can start to help you with that. So that's one idea. So share it there. And what would be something else? There's one activity that's been a home run for companies. It's called the 100 pennies exercise. It's actually, I talk about it in the book. And you, you lay out 100 pennies and you ask somebody to come up and ask them to remove the pennies that they think are labor and materials and you know, out of the 100 pennies and they move it. And you get to your gross margin there. And then you ask somebody else to come up that remove all the pennies that are like sort of SGNA or operating expenses, sort of the indirect costs. And they get it down. And you get, there's like five pennies left sometimes, or eight pennies in your example, Jeremy. And that's a really cool exercise. It doesn't cost you a lot. And it's huge, like, aha for most people. And the first time you do it, oftentimes, like, there's no way you're, no, that's baloney. And it's like, no, no, this is true. And this is before taxes, you know. So you have to do it. We always say people have to hear something seven times for them to hear it for the first time. And so once you've got the seven times there, they start to realize, okay, this is the way it kind of works. You can share industry averages as well if you have that data and show them it's not just us. Like this, our industry is like five to ten percent, and we want to be best in class. We should be ten or twelve percent. We don't want to be mediocre. We don't want to be average. So those those are a couple of exercises, and they're in the book Profit Works. And then we have a class online that they could easily watch videos and that kind of things. Excellent. Some of what you're saying, I hear you talking about it for the whole company, right? The 30 employees, 150 employees. How many times just use that with just the leadership team? <laughs> How many times have you seen that working with the clients? Like, does the sales guy, sales leader know how we make profit? I love it. It's a great way to, to think about the project. If your ultimate goal is to cascade it throughout the organization, you've got to think about those milestones like, Let's just get the leadership team exposed to this because to the degree, everybody who's on the leadership team can teach the folks who are also leaders, but maybe they're not on the leadership team, but they have to lead and manage and hold people accountable below them. If we can teach them, that would be the conduit for that front line often. And so we want business literacy or financial kind of profit education to become a part of the expectation of being a good boss. You should understand the basics of a profit and loss and income statement. 
And what's the difference between profit and cash? And so to your point, Jeremy, if we can teach the leadership team first and enroll them, it's a great way to, and you can do this over a period of months and quarters, right? And then year two, you know, you start going deeper into the organization and so forth. So it is a worthwhile endeavor, I believe, because it starts to build that culture of appreciation, of trust, of enrollment and engagement by everybody in the organization. But it is a long-term cultural shift. So obviously you're building pay plans out of this thing from all of this. Love to shift it over. You have a whole scorecard. I'd love to talk a little bit about the mindsets that are going on and then maybe move it into we're working around help them hire. How does this actually change the whole underneath of the business essentially? So if you want to share a little bit about that scorecard and high level, I'd love to hear that. It's you've kind of said this earlier, which I totally agree with is this isn't for everybody, right? And so the mindset scorecard is a strategic coach tool and it kind of did some thinking and research on the the eight mindsets that I see in sort of our best sort of case studies. And a lot of them are in alignment with our core values, which is interesting, but being disciplined around data, running on an operating system, having a sense of teamwork, camaraderie, and wanting that. So the scorecard asks you, where are you today on these eight mindsets and where do you want to be? And one, you know, one of the key ones that people sort of tend to have an aha around is around transparency and what they historically have shared, or maybe if it's a family business, what their folks shared, which was usually nothing, and then what they want to share, typically want to share more and maybe aren't quite sure how to do it. So that's really interesting conversation to have. And again, we're not pushing people to, to open all the books and everything, but it's their consequences either way. Depends on what you want from your business and from your culture. So the scorecard is a thinking tool for the entrepreneur. It's in the back of the book. It's also online. It's one of the free resources. And so you could take that and kind of do some thinking. It probably takes seven minutes to take it. And it spits back kind of like, this is where, where you are and this is where you want to be. And here's some ideas. One thing I really liked about it, as the entrepreneur, you're wondering, do I have it? Do I have what's in it? And it really makes it simple to look at and say, Everything here, I have the foundation. I have the core principles. You said core values of that. I have those, but I'm not delivering. I'm not getting what I want. And so by seeing where we're at, and where I, it made it so much simpler, like, oh, I could do this and go for it. So I love that. One of the most critical words to this whole psychology is the word simple. And it, whether it's incentive plan design or whether it's business teaching business in finance to people, we've got to keep it simple. And because you could easily make it super complex, but just like we say in EOS, the art is in the simplicity of it, or even like a, an iPhone or something. It's like, it looks simple, but there's a lot of work that goes into make it something looks that, that simple. So we tried to make the book really simple because a lot of visionaries and entrepreneurs don't have the attention span like me and they're, you know, they don't have time for it. So it's like a two and a half hour listen, unless you're on like 1.25 or faster. And so you can get through it a lot. But keeping it simple is a very core to our philosophy of the incentive plan design. If it's simple, it's easy to communicate to people and it's easy for them to understand. There's more trust in simplicity, I believe. And the same thing goes with the business literacy educational pieces too. Just keep it really simple. One of the things you said in one of the masterclasses I watched you do is this is really about shaping behavior. And it's really about making sure that your team is behaving in a way that's going to either increase revenue or lower expenses. And, and I love your example about how they really can participate in the expense reduction. Everybody can. 
it's not just the sales team. Like usually some people are like, well, I don't know how to drive revenue. I'm just a frontline employee. It's like, well, you can be honest about your hours. You know, you can clock in on time, clock out on time. You can stop grabbing a couple of sodas for the drive home. Like there are a whole bunch of ways as a frontline employee, you can reduce those expenses. But one of the things I remember thinking going through this as an owner myself is thinking, ah, oh, this sounds awesome. And I think when we get there, when we're at the end, it's going to be great. But there's this journey that has to happen. And one of the things you spoke to was the example you gave about the gal that had the 30 employees. And it was years of transformation inside of her culture and her company before she was ready to exit to her employees. This isn't something that you wake up one day, you say, I'm going to be transparent, open book. I'm going to give everybody this and everybody's going to be happy and it's going to work perfectly. Like this is something that takes time to get right. Is that fair? You're absolutely right, Ryan. It's a shift. It's glacial, but you'll feel there'll be little data points along the way where somebody, one of your employees asks you a question that a year ago, they never would ask that, right? And it's like, that's a great indicator that something's sinking in there. And I was on a call with a company last week and the HR guy said, what can my frontline guy do? in the field, like they're not going to be able to drive different costs down. I think he was addressing me and the owner said, well, wait a second, they can upsell, they can offer a filter, they can offer these other products. In some of the things you just gave an example, there are so much opportunity in this, the little decisions that folks can make in the field to drive and in those pennies add up. And so it becomes behavioral shift. We define the ideal purpose of the incentive plan, which is the financial kind of carrot that's out there. It's not the only thing that's causing behavioral change, but the ideal incentive plan should shape employee behavior toward improving the financial performance of the company. But it's not in isolation. It's not the only thing that's doing that. It's got to be buffered with like education and reinforcement and meetings and communication and data. If I pull this lever, does the cost go up or down? That kind of thing. You got to give them response. And that's sort of our duty. And that takes time. It's like on the accountability chart, those bullets in each of those seats are an element or representation of time. And we've got to spend time teaching it and reinforcing it and not getting tired of it. Lynchoni calls a chief reminding officer, or we just kind of, kind of feel like they're going to think of being repetitive, but I'm telling you, they don't remember what you said 90 days ago. Some don't remember this morning's talk. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's a key piece too, is this is what I heard you say was, there's going to be things, there's going to be setbacks. There's going to be times you have to repeat stuff and remind people and all that other stuff. So as the owner, this is already probably scary for them thinking about this process, but don't let that fear or those setbacks get in the way of you actually moving forward to the final thing. And that's something we see happen a lot right now is that we know hiring is hard. We know retaining people is difficult. Someone told me that business would be amazing if it weren't for the people. There's a lot of truth in that, except that that's what creates the business is the people. And so for the people that get through that fear and they see the value in being able to get their team to embrace it, transform their culture, get their teams to work on both the revenue and the expense side of the equation to help drive more profits. What is your experience being that we are in one of the most difficult hiring spaces we've been in a long time? How does something like this really help you differentiate your business? And have you seen example or two of how people were able to use this and being able to bring in more quality hires as well? Absolutely. And it starts on the front end of the hiring process to start to discuss concepts like cash, profit, and understanding that we are running a business. It's not a not-for-profit. We have to have something down there, the bottom line, to 
move toward the future. And so if you look at the best places to work surveys, and I'm in Columbus, Ohio, a lot of the folks that are sort of winning those, that type of recognition, typically they're serving the entire workforce when they get the data back and they compile it in these companies. So employee engagement and participation, hopefully they're not just coaching them and they take the survey because we want to show up here and track more candidates. But actually there might be some of those, but bulk of the folks who are getting that type of recognition are attracting higher quality candidates who want to work at places where they're respected, their information is shared. We know for winning or losing, and they're working with companies or employees or coworkers that are aligned with their core values. So they're not going into like a toxic environment. A lot of what the process, not only EOS, but ProfitWorks sort of pulls out is this I don't want to use the word safe environment, but it's not fear-based, but there's high expectations of performance. Like if you come in here, we're going, we're traveling, we're challenging. It's not like you come in here and you can quit and stay. We're going to be measuring things and we're shining the light in every corner of the business. We're, we are striving to grow the business and we are ambitious. And so there's an element of an earning mentality that you can interview for and earning attracts earning, right? So there's no entitlement. In a mentality. And if you have sort of call an adult agreement with your workforce where you live your core values and you treat each other with respect and you don't shoot the messenger and those kinds of things, you can keep that high level of performance where people are shooting for the big one and not afraid of getting shot. It's interesting as you're talking about that, it's got me think about this topic that's been trending in the media lately and on social media around quiet quitting. I don't know if you've heard that term, So they're talking about quiet quitting. Well, during the pandemic, what happened was a lot of organizations laid people off either for whatever reason. But what instead of really rehiring and bringing back all the people, what they did was they said, hey, Alex, you're a great performer. Do you think you could take on a couple extra things that aren't normally within your job description? And of course, the employees that don't want to get laid off are like, yeah, I'll help, I'll help, I'll help. Well, employers got numb to it and said, oh, well, things are going good again. And It's difficult to hire those. So I'm going to let Alex keep doing all the extra things. And while the employees are getting wise now and they call it quiet quitting, where they basically said, hey, you hired me to do X, not X plus Y. So I'm going to stop doing Y until you decide you want to compensate me or take care of me for that. That's a great conversation to have. If I want to get paid more, I got to earn it. But we got to have that conversation up front. But I think makes conversations like this so much easier in that, Now I can go to them and say, hey, remember that incentive we talked about? If I go hire somebody else, that takes more of our ability to make profits away. So what I love about it is as scary as it is and as beneficial is for the owner, it can be very incentivizing and very beneficial to the employee as well. And that transparency you create through doing this is going to make those conversations so much easier. Like we talk about with employee retention, There's intrinsic motivators, like inside, psychologically, what drives you kind of thing. And there's extrinsic, like money. And so there's a balance here in terms of our philosophy at ProfitWorks, where we're balancing those two, because it's intrinsically valuable to be part of a winning team. And winning team is a profitable team, good cash flow, a great, healthy workforce that's growing. It's attracting great candidates to our our, uh, company and so forth. But there's also that financial piece that's like, like, Ryan, to your point, it's got to be interesting. It can't be too much of a stretch, an unattainable kind of like wish that's up on a mountain kind of thing. It's got to be in there. And then our responsibility as entrepreneurs is to provide our 
team with all the tools and training and resources to help them achieve that financial performance and take home some extra pay. Our experience is like five to 15% of wages is you're in the right ballpark, especially if you're, if you're exceeding your minimum threshold of profit and you're starting to reach for stretch goals, you're up toward the 15%. So it's all very on the table conversation and there's a balance. That's part of that entrepreneurial art is balancing the intrinsic with the extrinsic, the money with sort of the, I guess, the softer stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's all connected, right? Hey, this is great. And there's so much in here that we could dig into. So many things that you said, I have, I have thoughts and questions on it. I know our listeners are like, hey, I want to know more about that. How do people listening to this learn about you? How do they find out more? How do they get a hold of you? Sure. Yeah, probably, I mean, the website's probably the best place and it's profitworksllc.com. And that'll get the conversation started. They certainly send me an email. It's alex at profitworksllc.com. If, if you want a conversation or talk about incentive plans or how does this work? So those are probably the best places to start. I'm on LinkedIn, of course. Those are probably the best places. And you've got a masterclass and you've got a book and there's a lot of information out there, right? In fact, you got a special offer for our listeners. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So part of the blue collar exclusive offer here is if you'd like a hard copy of ProfitWorks, just send an email to us and we'll get that out to you. Did include your mailing address and we'll get you a copy of ProfitWorks and be just part of trying to help you get better, help get stronger, help you think about this in a deeper way. Take the mindset scorecard in the back of the book. And you can also find that on ProfitWorksLLC.com, the scorecard, and there's other free downloads on there. But yeah, happy to offer that free book to your listeners. That's great. And if you didn't write down his email address before, we will have it in the show notes. So just know that we can go get his email address there. Alex, thank you so much for being a guest today. I've enjoyed the conversation so much here that can affect not only employees' performance, their retention, but also our ability to attract people. So great. Thank you again. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Jeremy. Appreciate it. Thanks, Alex. It was excellent. The Blue Collar Culture Podcast is sponsored by bluecollarculture.com. We help entrepreneurs create a healthy culture and build a self-managing business. To learn more, go to bluecollarculture.com.